0: Welcome to Baptist Perspective with Jimmy Barber. Whether you're listening while driving home from work, sitting with a hot cup of coffee, or making dinner, we hope this podcast will be thought provoking and edifying. Now, here with today's episode is Jimmy Barber. In our last session, we studied somewhat of the different views of the Lord's Supper among the Protestants. We close by saying that, in this session, we would look at the reform view as given in the Westminster Confession of Faith. There are some things given in this confession in which aligns with Baptist beliefs. We will not look at them at this time, but consider them together later. The first thing to consider is from the beginning of Article One quote, our Lord Jesus in the night." where he was betrayed, instituted the sacrament of his body and blood, called the Lord's Supper, to be observed in his church. Also, throughout chapter twenty nine of the Lord's Supper from the Westminster Confession, the term sacrament is continually used regarding this rite. Since the term sacrament is so often used throughout the world of Christendom, and often by Baptists who, it appears, are unaware of what they're saying, I believe it is needful to review this term again. We gave a broad overview in our last study, but let us review some of the details again. Quoting from John Calvin in his Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 4, Chapter 14, he gave the following. First, we must attend to what a sacrament is. It seems to me, then, a simple and appropriate definition to say that it is an external sign by which the Lord seals on our consciences His promises of good will toward us in order to sustain the weakness of our faith, and we, in our turn, testify our piety towards Him, both before Himself and before angels, as well as men. We may also define, more briefly, by calling it a testimony of the divine favor toward us, confirmed by an external sign with a corresponding attestation of our faith toward him, towards him, you may make your choice of these definitions, which, in meaning different not from that of Augustine, which defines a sacrament to be a visible sign of a sacred thing, or a visible form of an invisible grace, but does not contain a better or surer explanation as its brevity makes it somewhat obscure and thereby misleads the more illiterate, I wish to remove all doubt and make the definition fuller by stating it at greater length. And then he proceeds by giving this. The reason why the ancients used this word in this sense is not obscure. The old interpreter again referring mainly to Jerome's Latin Vulgate, whenever he wished to render the Greek word mysterion into Latin, especially when it was used with reference to divine things, used the word sacramentum. Thus in Ephesians, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, the use sacramentum, and again, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to youwards, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery sacramentum, as in Ephesians one nine, and these are from Ephesians one nine and three two, in Colossians. Quote, "...even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but is now made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of his mystery, sacramentum." Colossians 1.26 Also in, first, in the first epistle to Timothy, "...without controversy great is the mystery sacramentum of godliness." God was manifested in the flesh, 1 Timothy 3.16. He was unwilling to use the word arcanum, that is, secret, lest the word should seem beneath the magnitude of the thing meant. When the thing, therefore, was sacred and secret, he used the term sacramentum. In this sense, it frequently occurs in ecclesiastical writers. And it is well known that what the Latins call sacramenta, the Greeks called mysteria, mysteries. The sameness of meaning removes all disputes. Hence, it is that the term was applied to those signs which gave an august representation of things spiritual and sublime. This is also observed by Augustine, quote, that is, quoting Augustine, it were tedious to discourse to discourse of the variety of signs, those which relate to divine things are called sacraments, End of quote. Again, we will summarize by saying that Calvin asserted that a sacrament was, one, a help of our faith, two, an external sign, three, a seal of our, consciences, of our conscience of God's promises, and four, to sustain the weakness of our faith, and five, a testimony of our piety towards God before him and before angels and before men. Then he proceeds to say that this is all a mystery by using the Latin translation of the scriptures by the Catholics, where they substituted the Latin word for sacrament in the place of the Greek word for mystery. When we simply take the scriptures as written, we do not find that baptism and the Lord's Supper are some mysterious sign of some invisible grace for the purpose of helping our faith or sealing some covenantal promise. They are simply a memorial service, and a picture of our salvation that was purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ. A Baptist should not be guilty of referring to baptism or the Lord's Supper as sacraments. Equally, we should not refer to the Lord's Supper by calling it the Eucharist. It is not a Thanksgiving feast. It is simply a memorial service. Also, as seen in the quote from Article 1, as stated, that the Lord's Supper is to be observed in His church. However, in the 1689 Baptist London Confession, it is, quote, to be observed in His churches, end of quote. On the surface, this may seem like an insufficient or insignificant point, but it is not. From the end of Article 1 in the Westminster Confession, it identifies this church, and by the way, they put it in capitals, that is, capital C-H-U-R-C-H. It identifies this church as, quote, members of his mystical body, that is, the mystical body of Christ. From the London Confession, the conclusion of Article 1 is, quote, of their communion with him and with each other. End of quote. There is a difference between members of a mystical body and members of a congregation. I am aware that some Baptists often speak of a mystical body of Christ as well. The problem with this is it is uncertain as to what is meant. When someone uses this term, I have heard this term used when referring to, quote, the church, end of quote, as being all the elect or believers of God. Equally, some use this term to describe all the believers living at a given time on earth or all living on earth and departed in heaven. That is, all believers that are living on earth and departed in heaven. In a book, A Cloud of Witnesses, which is a book of last speeches and testimonies of the Scottish covenanters in the 1600s, at least some of them believe that Christ's mystical body was, quote, the Church of Scotland, end of quote. You'll find that particularly on pages 245 and 295, as found in the 1989 edition, as printed by Sprinkle Publications. The quote from the Westminster Confession that I have supplied comes from a book printed by the Free Presbyterian Church of of Scotland and contains not only the Confession, but the larger and shorter Catechism, the Sum of Saving Knowledge, the National Uh, and solemn league, the acknowledgments of sin, the engagements of duty, directories for public and family worship, form of church government, and all the other documents related to the standards and beliefs of the Church of Scotland and the Reformers in general. Not only is this term, mystical body of Christ, confusing and means different things to different people, It is not found in the Scriptures and, therefore, should be avoided. I might say the same thing can be said about other uh, terms such as church militant, church triumphant, invisible body of Christ, and other unscriptural and unclear ideas and concepts. Equally, the Scriptures do not speak of any denominational hierarchy that governs over a group of congregations. The only ecclesiastical authority found in the New Testament is the congregation of God. Without question, the Scriptures declare of individual congregations. And it is individual congregations that carry out the Lord's Supper. In fact, the only epistle in the New Testament that teaches specifically about the Lord's Supper was written in the congregation at Corinth, and how that and how that congregation was to administer the elements to its members. Members of the body of Christ at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 12 27. I plan to say more about this in the future, the Lord willing. But our time is about gone and we will stop at this point and continue looking at the confession in future studies. <music> thank you for listening to today's edition of Baptist Perspective. We archive our episodes so you can go back anytime and listen again. Do you have a question about something you've heard or just want to let us know you're listening? Visit us at baptistperspective.wordpress.com. That's baptistperspective.wordpress.com. Thanks again for listening.